This is Average Joe Rock and Roll. I am Michael J. Rock, and I am joined today by Michael Leffler, a world-renowned drummer. Great. Drum teacher. Okay. Um, how are you, Mike? Can you hear me? Very good, Mike. How are you? I am good, thank you. Having a little technical difficulty out you. of the gate here, but you know, hopefully we can power through this. So, you're yeah, uh, yeah. You gotta love technology. Oh, it's uh, it's wonderful. So you know, like I said, hopefully we can power through this. Um, if we can't get through it, we can always do it again. But hopefully we can get through it. So um, okay, I had a chance to yeah, get online hopefully. and take a look at your bio and you know what you've been doing, what you've been up to, and stuff like that. And uh, uh, you're a pretty impressive, dude. Um, you know what uh, what what's inspiring you these days? Well, as, as far as the drums by themselves, they're as much as ever really just the, still the pursuit of playing drums every day and expanding and trying to get become better and better to my potential. So I'm loving playing as much as I ever have, just the instrument itself. And of course, I've been in bands through the years and done all the band stuff. I'm I actually have a gig this Saturday night out in Big Bear, Big Bear Lake, and I'm okay. looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, just uh, loving the drums as always. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of ironic to hear you say that. You know, you're you're still uh, learning after all these years. When uh, somebody like a Neil, Neil Peart had once said that he never stopped taking drum lessons. You know, imagine being Neil Peart's teacher. I know, right? Exactly. But I guess you can always exactly. learn, right? Um, so who, who are your influences? Yeah. Well, I got to say, really, I mean, I thought I wasn't sure what we were going to talk about today. But of course, I thought of this. This might come up. Of course, I, everyone, I love John Bonham, right? I grew up with my older brother playing Led Zeppelin 24-7. So that all like that big huge rock beat just be all you know you're hearing it every day so love john bonham uh i love i love the who love keith moon i have different drummers i like for different reasons you know i might have a guy for his energy and spirit then i've got another guy who i like for his power and i've got another guy i may like for finesse you know so love danny carey love it the band tool uh, I love the studio greats. I love the Steely Dan drummers, Jeff Beccaro, rest in peace. Sure. You know, uh, Keith Carlock. So through a, through a life of doing the drums, I've really studied everybody. Stuart Copeland. And uh, I love everybody who plays, really. I don't care what your level is. I love everybody who's sitting down and playing an instrument these days, you know, and have for a long time. Sure. And that's a good passion to have regardless of your future. level, but yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It's uh, you mentioned a lot of great drummers there. You started yeah. with Bonham and I, I read on your bio where you were drumming to John Bonham at five. Um, so, you know, that's a pretty good place to start. Yeah. That was really, I mean, rock and roll people ask me, okay, well, what do you play? People ask me quite often, well, okay, you're a drum teacher or you're in a band, like, what do you play? And, 
and I'll say, well, of course, as a drum teacher, I've, I've learned to play a lot of different styles from around the world, different genres from Afro-Cuban drumming, Afro-Caribbean, Brazilian, jazz, you know, but what do I love? I love, love rock and roll. Rock and roll is what I love, right? Because I grew up with it. It just gives you that little adrenaline buzz and boom, you're, you're you know, you're in, that's what rock and roll is, bass and drums and energy and um so, I, of course, and, and, and that would go with in writing as well. I've been fortunate enough to be writing on some records. And what would I compose for music? Well, it's rock and roll, you know. Um, but I do. I, I, I find it, as a drum player, I find fun and satisfaction to go study these other styles and what those drummers had in their toolbox and in, the, in their vocabulary. And the good part about that is you just keep, growing as a player so you are these all these influences are within you and the more you practice these will shine back through in your playing so you really it becomes part of your personality in your own individual way which is really great sure so when you write do you write with a bass player well i i, I have in the past uh i we've i've been in situations when we're writing or I've been in the room with just a guitar player and we're writing. I've done it where I'm writing all by myself, spending time on either like a keyboard or a piano. Okay. I, I, I wrote a, a song on one of my records and I wrote 95% of the music on, on a keyboard. And we, I took it to the band and we, we really just translated the keyboard to the guitar and put some distortion sound on the guitar. And it's a song called Standing Still. And it's pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, in writing, I've kind of had a little bit of everything in the room by myself, people send files. What, can, what would you play to this? Or can you, do you want to play on this or do you want to write on this? What would you do? So yeah, all the different scenarios really. Yeah, that's great. And of course it's, it's a lot easier nowadays with the internet because you can send stuff back and forth, um, where you couldn't do that back in the day. Yes. Yep. You know, while well, you could, if you put it on cassette and put it. Yes, in right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I asked yeah, about right. The, uh, writing. Cool. Right, I asked about uh, writing with a bass player because I was I was purely, you know, thinking of it from a drumming standpoint. I wasn't thinking of it from a, a keyboard standpoint. Um, obviously, that's different. Um, you know, a, a friend of mine is is a drummer and he writes, and you know, he he tries to write with a bass player. Um, just to get that rhythm section down, and then they kind of fill in around it. Yeah. Yeah. However, it's there's really no right or wrong way. Sure. People have yep. their way, depending on your friend, that bass player, how melodic is he, how does he play. Yeah. There's just nothing more fun than creating your your own music, authoring, and you, it's all in your control, of course. And then when you're collaborating, sometimes you got to compromise and then, oh, compromise, wait a minute. But you have to compromise on some of your ideas or how you want it to sound this way or that way. It's probably why like these bands that get more successful pretty soon, somebody's got a solo record coming out and then the singer's got a solo record too. And they have maybe, they're not, you know, happen to, you know, deal with another writer, strong writer in the band, but. It's really a, uh, it's such a hard thing of all the things to really 
got chemistry in a band. Like when we look back at the greats from Aerosmith to you name it, right on down the line to early U2. And it's to that this chemistry, there was a, that this chemistry was able to work. I mean, it's just really a beautiful thing because it can be hard just to put your name out there and look for other people. And, and that's, it could take a while to come up with something that's it's working with chemistry, you know, it's a, yes. it's a crapshoot. So yeah. yeah, that can be a challenge as a lot of, there's a lot of challenges, but that certainly is one of them. Yeah. And, and as a fan myself, um, you know, when I go and watch bands and I listen to music and stuff, you know, you can almost differentiate uh, the guys that are really gelling versus the guys that are just there for, uh, to put their, their time in and then move on. Um, a band that I think of that has super, super yeah. chemistry is the winery dogs. I don't know if you've heard them or not. Um, yeah. Richie sure. Cox and Billy Sheehan. And yeah. Yeah. And those guys have fantastic yeah. chemistry. Those guys genuinely like each other. They love writing with each other sure. and they make each other better. Right. That, that is, that is definitely so true. Um, it's as you do this long enough, it really does come down to the people you're working with and, and it, you can be in the room with them. I, I know that kind of sounds like rock star fight, prima donna diva thing, but it really is. As you get older, it, you, it's just you're spending a lot of time with these people. So your best creativity is to come out when there's a good energy and vibe in the room and you, and you want to hang out. So of course, Mike Portnoy, they're top notch, right? Billy Sheehan is a legend. So is Mike Portnoy. So they're great musicians and they're probably great friends. So they're having a blast, right? It's at the top of the uh, reward of it all. You know, it's very rewarding to write your own. Certainly, I've been in bands and uh, bands that were more successful than anything I've been in. Sure, they had their fights and this and they're at each other's necks, but they go on stage and there's all those people and the music is played and they can all just let that go. Another 22 hours of the day. If you're working with these people day in and day out, it it can really, you know, it gets it gets old like anything. It, it can wear you out after a while when personalities don't match or, it, you know. Right. Probably most of the time it wouldn't have to really be necessary if communication was better, but it happens. We know that, you know, egos, egos get huge. Big ego has always been part of it. That can be self-sabotaging, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love the, a line by Alice Cooper one time. He said, you know, he says, I tell my band ego stays on the stage when you're off the stage. Uh, the ego goes away because all those people you come in contact with are, are signing your paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. I, I've, you know, through my life, whether I went attended drum clinics or met this famous drummer or that famous musician, it seemed like a lot of times when they were real amazing, like I'm talking about, you know, really high level people in, in the industry. A lot of times they're, they're very humble. They're very cool down to earth. Like I've had, I did drum lessons with Mike Mangini. He's of course the drum, the uh, drummer for Dream Theater. Now, I had a great experience studying with him. He gave me a lot of insight on knowledge I did not have, which is all the physiology happening when you play the drum set. So to learn at the time, I was about 27 years old, and but 
to the back to the original point, Mike is a, just a great humble guy with his work ethic is just on another level. He's like Michael Jordan level work ethic on a drum set. And I found that same experience on a lot of the, some of the very greats. Um, now there are those, there are stories too. Uh, there are, there are at the same, at the same time on the other side of the coin, my, I had the, when I was uh, living on in new England, I, we, my band was quite popular local around the area. Uh, we did some warm up shows and some of them were really egotistical. I, you know, I won't mention any names, but uh, then you, you did run into sometimes where, you know, someone had a real seemed like to have a really big attitude or didn't care less and, and that kind of thing. So I guess it's just part of it all. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story or actually not, not that funny. It's kind of sad, actually. But um, I saw the band Adrenaline Mob. I don't know if you've heard of those guys or not. Um, AJ Pirro was the original drummer for that band. Yeah, and I, Adrenaline Mob. I've heard of it. Yeah. So it was a super group. Yeah, who was, yeah. Um, it was uh, Russell Allen on vocals, um, John Moyer on bass, yeah. um, AJ Pirro on drums, and uh, Mike Orlando on guitar. And uh, guys were really good and great and all that. And, but there was hardly anybody there. It was a small venue. So after the show, me and my buddy hung around, met the band, got all their autographs and stuff. Yeah. And um, AJ Pirro was the last one we got the autograph from because he was tearing down his drum kit. And we went to the edge of the stage. He says, hang on a second, guys. I'm going to finish up and then I'll be right down. So he finished putting his drum drum kit away. And then he comes down, he sits on the edge of the stage and he says, you know, he says, I've been doing this 40 years. He says, I've never taken a sick day. He says, my drum tech's been out for a month. He said, so I'm tearing my own equipment down. So anyway, we have this conversation, right? The following day, they roll their tour bus. And he ends up having to be out for a couple of shows after making a comment that I've never taken a sick day. Six months later, he was dead. Had a heart attack, massive wow. heart attack on his tour bus and died. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, he made that comment. It was like, wow. You know, and then the following day yeah. when I heard that, I, I couldn't believe it because he had, he had just made that comment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a big fan of AJ. I, when I went to music, music school, he actually did a clinic at our school. And another great guy. Of course, I was a fan back on in Twister Sister Heyday. I was yep. there. I was in the first run, front row, probably in Glens Falls, New York, and just in awe, right? And uh, he was great. You see him at uh, Memorial Auditorium in Burlington when they were in Memorial Auditorium? Uh, you know, it seems like I probably did. Uh, I think I did. I remember seeing Metallica there. I'm trying to, I, I, yeah, I almost remember. Uh, I remember the show in Glens Falls better. <laughs> I remember seeing him, a Twisted Sister in Glens Falls, New York. And it was that summer they were just beyond huge, right? I guess it was We're Not Gonna Take It. The video was out. Yeah. But then that's right. They did play in Burlington, so... Right on. I, I guess the White Lion opened up for that show. I think we had we were on the floor, I believe. I think White Lion opened up, if I'm remembering correctly. So they played there twice. But another time I saw Metallica there. Yeah, yeah at the at the okay. fairgrounds, right? Yeah, yeah. I was at that show. That was like ninety three, ninety four. Yeah, yeah. Now I remember seeing Metallica at Memorial Auditorium, and it was like. 
it was like so hot. It was like 98 degrees oh, inside no the place. Wow. And it was just really crazy hot that night. But yeah, and I think it was the Injustice for All record. Yeah. Yeah. And Justice for All, they actually ended up coming through Burlington, Vermont. Yeah. That's pretty, crazy. Pretty crazy. Well, I saw, so I saw Motorhead and Alice Cooper there in 88. And Metallica. I... Yeah. I mean, crazy the stuff yeah. that we saw there. All these years later, Metallica. Um, yeah. 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 I, 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 I remember just really those two concerts. I was usually we were heading over to New York State, but um, surprisingly, Metallica just played in L.A. last night. They play. It looks like I, I checked out their schedule. They, they do. It looks like they're doing like Friday night and Sunday night in uh, whatever city they're playing that week. Okay. I, I I don't know what the logic is behind that, but there must be something. They now I look and so they're doing it. Did you notice that they're playing Sunday? And that it looks like that's it. It's that that's the tour. And then they're going to Phoenix, Arizona, this week. They're playing Friday. They're playing Sunday. Okay. Yeah. And no, then I they're going wherever else next. And it looks like if I got the schedule correct, I, maybe I'm wrong. And I'm. <laughs> I don't think so though. Yeah. 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 But yeah. they're still out there playing. It's pretty amazing. The yeah. No. They're years later. You know what? I mean, they're they're still as good as ever, and. uh you know, those guys uh, are second to none, really. You know, if you think about, you know, yeah. um, the musicianship and, you know, they, you know, with the exception of uh, continuing to swap out their bass player, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, uh, there's quite a few original guys in that band, which, you know, a lot of bands that have been around that long don't have that many originals. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Pretty impressive. I, I, again, that's like Metallica. What comes to my mind is how many killer guitar riffs, right? <laughs> how many killer guitar riffs in, are in their catalog? Oh man, the Master of Puppets record. The the whole thing is brilliant. And like all these beautiful little mid interlude bridges and stuff. It's so good. Yeah, the, the, really the got a lot of respect for all that that songwriting. So at that time when that album came out, I was listening to just like you. I was listening to a lot of Twisted Sister. I was listening to a lot of Rat, a lot of Motley Crue. You know, that was basically my repertoire of music, right? And then I heard Master Puppets, and I was like, I don't really, I don't really get this because it was different, you know. But it intrigued me. And the first time I heard it, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to listen to it again. And then I was compelled to listen again, so I listened again. And then I listened again and then I listened again and I was like, these guys are from a different planet, you know? And of course then thrash just took off after that, you yeah. know, big four and all that. But uh, Metallica was just like the pioneers. They blazed it. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting how we find new music. I, I, I can still, this is like a lot of things you don't remember how it happened the first time, but I do remember with Metallica specifically, I can still remember it very clearly. I was with some friends and we were all into the Motley Crue, Twisted Sister that, you know, what people call the hair bands yeah. for today, right? Van Halen. And then we were we were on our way to a concert, actually. We were on our way to a concert, and somebody had the Master of Puppets cassette, and we're playing it. And it's like, yeah, this 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 newer band, Metallica. It's like, okay, I don't know. And then it, it didn't take long, and we were all just vibing on it. And it was so aggressive, and it had such angry parts, and we became fans fast. There wasn't 
much time between, oh, is this new BIM? Like, these got uh, fell in love with that record. I actually saw them on that tour for Open for Us. They were on tour, Master of Puppets. And then they were opening for Ozzy. And I was lucky enough to see that, that show. And that was also in New York State. And, of course, Cliff, that was Cliff's final tour. Cliff was still alive. And, uh, but to this day, I love that record. Master of Puppets, these songs. There is Leper Maasai. Oh, man. Love that stuff, you know? Yeah, that early stuff. Uh, of course, a lot of, a lot of people discovered Metallica when the Black Album came out. Or maybe the song one, um, you know, and that's what a lot of people more the more mainstream, right. you know, fan, um, you know, knew that stuff. And, you know, if you were a deeper fan and you went into the catalog before that, um, that stuff didn't even compare. It was good, but it didn't even didn't even compare. Yeah. And I think that was Bob Rock that produced yeah. that album, you know, and Bob Rock was. Yeah, a publisher. I, it's just. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am a fan of sometimes when the band is still hungry and they don't have the millions of dollars or the deal yet, but they're living music. Literally, you hear about, well, we were living it. And yeah, when that's what I talked about, this chemistry thing earlier. It just seems to be a variable that's uh, so important in how real and fantastic the music can be. And uh, it's just a lot. It seems like it's a similar story a lot of time. These group music because they lived it and loved it. And that was life in the day. And uh, back in the day, there was a record industry that could nurture that and bring this talent to fruition and put it everywhere. And of course, that's what happened. But what I like most of all about it is the, the, the chemistry and the pureness of those of those bands. And then I, I find that sometimes records that happened 10 years into the career of the band, it's still good, but it's it doesn't quite have that urgency or that realness that maybe the, the guys had when they were writing and there was no guarantee on anything, you know. Uh, like early Aerosmith. I, I like the early Aerosmith. I even like some of the older stuff, but Steven Tyler's writing with a songwriter, Desmond Child. And of course he writes with Perry too. And I'm not putting that down. And if, and if someone's creating a really good song, I don't care how it comes to create it. You know, and, it's, and at the end of the day, a great song is a great song. But I love I still love that like early Black Sabbath is one of my I mean, I love Black Sabbath all through their career, but it's the same kind of story. Right. How great is their story? Right. It's like that's just the coolest thing ever. And the first record, I don't they really they recorded that first record in a short amount of time and not on a big budget. And we talking about guitar riffs. What about I mean, they're the godfathers of a darker, heavier riff. Right. So yeah. love Black Sabbath and Ozzy. Yeah, I'm actually reading uh, Geezer Butler's book right now. Um, it's quite interesting. I'll go back through and people will say, well, what do you, you know, do you like, what would you, what would you, do you like Motley Crue or do you like Ozzy better? And I, I love, oh yeah. 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 Well, that day, I mean, 
their story is quite amazing. And then Ozzy Osbourne, his story is he's got has had quite a life, right? <laughs> yeah. But love his music and everything. I love almost everything Ozzy's ever done. I'm a big Ozzy fan. Yeah. Nope. I'm right there with you. Um, you know, that or especially the era. I mean, you talk about, you know, somebody starting out and, you know, coming on with a force and then changing a little bit 10 years later. I mean, Ozzy fits right into that, too. Um, you know, once you get beyond, you know, the Zach Wild years, you know, things start to morph for him a little bit. Yeah. But that early stuff, yep. the, f the first time I heard Ozzy, yep. I couldn't believe it because he, he didn't sound like And then the Randy Rhodes. I'm such a big Randy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I know I was young enough, not that I'm not young, but I think I was young enough where I it was, it was, I'm, I'm, I remember listening to Black Sabbath, but I remember just that where it really took off was crazy. I remember just, uh, if I was in whatever, if I was in junior high, I guess I, I think I was in like seventh grade and all of a sudden crazy train was everywhere, but I actually liked the other songs better on the record. And I, those first two records, his solo records are just awesome. Yeah. Diary of a Madman. I mean, that, that record, I call it Masterpiece, right? That's like a Masterpiece it, record. It is, yeah. The song Diary of a Madman with Randy Rhodes' contributions and classical training. So, so amazing. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. That, that could never be duplicated. You know, those first two Sometimes records. Sometimes you'll compare what's out there today compared to that, and it's like, oh, my God, this is like, you know. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even compare. Yeah, yeah. Those those first two records, they were Not basically interchangeable. I mean, every song on them was yeah. great, um, yeah. you know, and there was some stuff on there, too, that, you know, no, that was great that nobody ever really talked about, like No Bone Movies, you know. I mean, great stuff, great stuff. Um, but, yeah, I uh, I listened to those yeah. over and over and over again to yep. the point where I had to replace yeah. my cassettes because I listened to them so much. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I went through an Iron Maiden kick. I thought I was 14, and that Peace of Mind record. I tell you what, I must have wore through three copies with the needle because I just played that Iron Maiden record night and day. <laughs> and I was into those guys huge, too. But, uh, of course, obviously, Judas Priest, too. You know, yep. love those guys. Yep. Well, uh, that and, British uh, I'm actually metal lucky. Was... I'm in a tribute band. I've been really enjoying it. I'm drumming again. Say that again. I'm sorry. Oh no, I was I was just saying that you know some of those British metal bands were were unbelievable. Mm -hmm. You know, you could throw Saxon in there too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the Judas Priest thing is an is another one. They had their '70s stuff. And then I, the core to like the, maybe the, the pinnacle of their writing was 82 through 84. And I know some people say, well, no, man, but of course, screaming for vengeance and defenders of the faith, oh. right? Those two, oh. of course, that's when I went and saw them in concert. So maybe I just am impartial to that era, but I love the 70 stuff too. Sinner and deliver the goods and, uh, I love that stuff still to this day. Yeah, no, that stuff's all fantastic. So I'm having a good time playing that, having a fun time playing the, the Judas Priest stuff. 
Yeah. So my first, yeah. the first time I heard Judas Priest, I was at my, um, yeah. I was with my cousin and we were at a friend, his friend's house. We we're in their basement, um, lifting weights and stuff like that. And he had a record player, had a turntable and he put the needle down on side two of defenders of the faith. And the first note that I heard from Judas Priest was love bites. And I was blown away by what I heard. And to this day, that's my favorite Judas Priest record, just because yeah. that's why I, I learned about Judas Priest. And then, yeah. you know, I mean, just phenomenal, phenomenal band. Just different sounding. Um, yeah. Rob Alford's voice. I mean, if you've ever listened to like Resurrection, his solo yeah. album, um, you know, the notes that he hits in that record, it's crazy. And I watched him do some of that stuff live on like YouTube and yeah. stuff. And he hits it live. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. On, on yeah, him. he is something special. Yeah, and because like I've had this tribute. It's well, COVID kind of made the whole thing be disappear for like a year and a half. But we've had to look for a few singers. So of course, <laughs> it's not you have to find someone who can do his his register the low register, but then the falsetto stuff, which doesn't even really sound like falsetto. It's so strong. You know, so luckily the guy we have, Rob, so obviously it makes it a lot of fun when you can go on the stage and rely on your bandmates to bring it. Uh, we played down in San Diego this past spring and we had a, an amazing time. We literally, the place, you know, as far as audience reaction, it just was upside down. It was so good. And uh, so looking forward to. It's all about bringing the spirit to the songs, you know? Yeah. So uh, looking forward to this week to go play some more tunes with them. So uh, are you are you pretty diverse with that band or are you are mainly into the metal stuff? Yeah, it's just not really a diverse. Uh, I, I should say it like this. I'm not just into metal. You know, it's like that was my up when I was in high school. That was my thing. Metal music. That, of course, it was the most. It was very popular at the time. I don't know if I. You still there, man? Yep. Okay. Still here. I wasn't sure if I lost you for a second. Uh, but I love it all. I'm not just still doing heavy metal. I'll. I love any, anything that's well written. Uh, so. I do every. I love Steely Dan. I love anybody who's writing a good song. I'm a fan of it. Yeah. But I'm not just locked into heavy metal now. Uh, yeah. Most part, right? Um, yeah. So, um, who do you think? I think I think I already know the answer to this. But who do you think was the the metal pioneer? The metal pioneer. Well, that is a very good question. But. To me, I, I may have to stand on Black Sabbath, the metal pioneer, or Judas Priest, but it with for me that the riffs of Tony Iommi, and I think you probably know the story if I've got the story correct, because it's like oh, that he he was missing part of his finger, so he wore something over his finger, and they tuned the guitar down lower to make it easier and. I feel like those riffs are a big part of heavy metal as we know it. The I black, the, you know, the early black Sabbath stuff, but yep. 
somebody yep. can argue. I mean, Judas Priest, the, the 70s stuff was, a, it's heavy, but it's still kind of almost like still just, you can just hear the blues guitar. Now, I know that I only had the blues guitar influence too, but because the sound was darker and tuned down, it sounds heavier. It sounds like what we perceive. You know. Yeah. Uh, I love when a guitar player detunes and plays a detune that makes the music sound heavier. It's because it's like, you know, the, D, the lowest string is tuned to D. But, um, how about you? What, what would you say as a pioneer? Would, so, would you say I, the same or somebody else? Nope, I would agree 100%. I, I figured that's what you were going to say. I think that's what most people say. I mean, obviously, there were bands before yeah. that heavier, like The Who and stuff like that, that kind of led into that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, you're right. I mean, the first the first metal riffs came from that yeah. band, in my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. unfortunately, Mike, uh, uh, we're we're we're. I remember that. I remember. Uh, no, go ahead. G g still got a minute. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. I was just going to mention. I, I I we talk about these records. Another record that I must have played a million times over was "Speak of the Devil." That's Ozzy had left Black Sabbath. But then he went on the road and he had he was doing like half Black Sabbath tunes, half his solo record. And that, that live record is so good. Brad yeah. Gillis played guitar and just and then Tommy Aldridge was on drums. And it was these Black Sabbath songs live with an, like just a bit different musicianship. It was really amazing. So I listened to that record so much. Symptoms of the Universe and so good yeah yeah. Uh, yeah no i'm right there with you i listened to that a ton and i mean I, at one point i could i could recite everything that ozzy said during the songs and after and between the songs you know i remember the line where he you know during snowblind where he's like is everybody <laughs> high you know yeah stuff like that so no that was great and brad gillis unfortunately you know yeah, yeah. after randy rhodes and you know he wasn't going to fill yeah. his shoes he stepped aside and then uh jakey lee came in but um but anyway, like I said, Mike, um, right. you know, unfortunately, we're running out of time here. Yeah, um, it truly was a pleasure having you on today. Um, and with that, OK, uh, I am uh, Michael J. Rock and I am a rock fan. Enough said. Thank you, Mike.